Hi, this is Chaim Klein. This is The Right Jew, and today I'll be talking about God and morality. Let me begin by making a very simple statement that many people, uh, you know, find this sort of strange. Uh, without God, the possibility of a moral society is non-existence. Uh, a lot of people object because they claim that it's possible to be a moral individual uh, without necessarily believing in God, and that it's true. There's no reason that a person can't be a moral individual uh, without God, but that morality, that morality, that decision to be a moral person is based fundamentally not on the moral choices that you make, but on your own temperament. For example, we talk about things like uh, murder. Many people would never murder, not because it's immoral, but because either they don't have the guts to, or because they're afraid of the consequences, or they don't have the violent tendencies. The reasoning is not that something is essentially wrong or right. The reasoning is based on how it's going to impact them. What are they comfortable with? If there's no God, there's no standard of right and wrong. Everything becomes subjective, and it becomes a matter of opinion. Uh, Nietzsche would have put it this way. What's wrong with murder? Now, I've had this discussion for many years with many people, and people tell me things like, well, you're taking another person's life. Who established that taking another person's life is necessarily immoral? Just because people feel that way, that doesn't make it so. Now, you may tell me that it's been like this throughout history, that the prohibition to take life goes back to the Code of Hammurabi, uh, and which wasn't necessarily a religious or God-based society in the sense that not to kill wasn't a commandment from God. My response to you is, let us assume that it came from the Code of Hammurabi, but who authorized the author of the Code of Hammurabi to impose his morality on me? Why does the author of the Code of Hammurabi get to say what's right or wrong? Why, what authority does he make his statement? Right or wrong, for it to function, has to have some kind of objective root. Because if it's not an objective root, then we become subjected to moral relativism. Moral relativism is the idea that morality depends on time and place. That at certain times in history, uh, homosexuality was uh, normative. In other times in history, it became banned. Now it's come back to becoming normative and in fact possibly even encouraged for reasons that I'll get into one other another day. Uh, but the idea is that morality changes. And while it is true that some elements of morality might change, uh, these elements of morality are not can't be fundamental. Uh, the questions of of right and wrong. Uh, so while it may not have been considered moral for society in the 19th century, for example, by David Ricardo or Thomas Malthus to give welfare to poor people because that would have encouraged birth rates. Birth rates would have ultimately led to starvation because the belief was that there was only a finite amount of resources. 
So let's let we can examine whether or not that situation is a legitimate one. But you see, that's not a question of relative morality. That's a question of situational morality. Relative morality states that all morality depends on time and place, which is a very uh, very modern and very ancient. It has its roots in Greek culture, and it is the most prevalent form of moral thinking today. Westerners, educated Westerners, generally are moral relativists. They believe that that while uh, clitoridectomy may be wrong in North America, it's not necessarily wrong in Somalia because in Somalia it's part of the culture. As Ruth Benedict said, what is cultural is normative, what is normative is right. So you never find feminists, or you rarely find feminists, screaming about oppression of women in Islamic countries. You rarely find feminists screaming about oppression of, of gay people in Muslim countries because they understand that that's the culture and you have to accept it. Anything else, any objection to that kind of approach, any, any, uh, any failure to accept third world or Muslim or Chinese or foreign notions of morality are fundamentally a form of uh, cultural hegemony or imperialism or colonialism. And everyone knows, or at least every so-called enlightened liberal knows, that imperialism and colonialism are fundamentally bad. I, of course, would argue like Neil Ferguson that had there not been liberal, uh, had there not been um, imperialism, had there not been colonialism, many people would be living under much worse conditions today than they did uh, 300 years ago. So I'm not, in, I'm not into that, but since you're a person as a liberal who objects to imperialism, to say that sati, the idea that you should burn widows in India is wrong, uh, is forcing your own cultural view on those people, and it's inconsistent with your liberal notions. However, if you believe that there's a God out there who sets a standard for morality, now we know that each situation can be different. Situational morality differs from moral relativism because situational morality says that you have to do the most ethical thing under that particular circumstances. So for example, in Judaism, abortion is permitted under certain circumstances. I'm not sufficiently qualified to get into the details, but for example, when a child threatens the life of a mother, the child, the fetus at the time is not a human being, the mother is a human being, and therefore she, the fetus, is, is damaging the mother, so under that standard, the right, the ethical thing to do, the most ethical thing to do, is to save the mother's life because she's already a living human being, whereas the fetus is not yet a living human being. That's what situational ethics are. Situational ethics depend on the situation. So given a specific situation, for example, lying. The Torah says that midvar sheker tirchak, out of the 613 commandments, Midvar Sheker Tirchak is the only one that is, that is stated in relative terms. What it means is distance yourself from a lie. 
distance yourself from a lie. It's not an absolute prohibition about lying. It's about saying that under circumstances, lying is permissible, and under other circumstances, it's not permissible. What is the What are those circumstances? Well, that depends on the situation. If someone's spouse is on her way to a wedding, and the only dress she has is not something that's necessarily um, the most the the, the most well, best suited to her, and she turns to you and says, "How do I look?" You have two choices. You can tell her you look awful, in which case she's not going to go to the wedding, or you can tell her she looks not bad or pretty good, and even though you may be lying, it is the most ethical thing to say under that circumstance. This is Judaism. Judaism is about situational ethics. Situational ethics can involve Kantianism. It can involve utilitarianism. It can even involve moral relativism. Situational ethics or Torah ethics, Jewish ethics, covers the entire spectrum of the ethical world depending on the situation. So if you ask me, as a as a observant Jew, whether or not the ends justifies the means, the answer is yes, sometimes the ends justify, justifies the means, and sometimes it doesn't justify the means. There's no one-size-fits-all, which is what suited to the nature of life, because life is complex, and to say that one system like Kantianism or utilitarianism or moral relativism covers all aspects of life makes absolutely no sense given the complexity of life. Now let me get to Nietzsche for a minute. Nietzsche said that what would happen is that if you would kill God, which is what happened in the 19th century, 19th century began the period of atheism. Up until the 19th century, there were very few professed atheists. Even if they were atheists, they considered themselves to be deists. They believed in some kind of god of nature that started the world, left it alone, had no involvement with it. But by the middle of the 19th century, atheism began to become more widespread. Nietzsche said that by accepting atheism that the people who were atheists killed God. And he said that the consequences of killing God would be that the very foundations of Western morality would be destroyed. Because the very foundations of Western morality lie in Judeo-Christian tradition, which accepts a God. Nietzsche pointed out that the absence of a God would render everything permissible because every single act is justifiable. For hundreds of years, the Western world practiced Judeo-Christian morality. At a certain point, they decided it didn't need Christian morality, Judeo-Christian morality. It would be content with, uh, with concepts like freedom of speech, rights, liberties, freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion. Now we're embarking on a period where freedom of press is under challenge, not by Donald Trump, but by people who oppose Donald Trump. They argue that you can't say things that are insulting, you can't say things that are offensive, you can't say things that disturb people, that everybody's entitled to have safe spaces. This is true of free speech. Bakers can't bake 
uh, are forced are the uh, forced to bake cakes for gay weddings. Printers are forced to print flyers for gay parades. Where's the freedom? So this very notion that the freedom would be able to protect the dignity of human beings is aborted by the notion of the absence of religion. Once you stop believing in God, once you stop accepting a God that that demands a certain standard of morality, then it makes no difference what anyone decides to do because every single thing that a human being does can be justified. Anyone who thinks that Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin acted out of evil is fundamentally an idiot because both of these people thought that they were trying to improve the world. Hitler was trying to maintain a certain level of racial purity so that mankind could evolve in a Darwinian sense to a higher stage of, of, of purity. Therefore, hum weak human beings had to be destroyed. Jews represented a microbe in the bloodstream of humanity. Therefore, they had to be destroyed in the name of a purer, stronger, better human being. Joseph Stalin oversaw the murder of 30 million people in the name of equality. Consequently, these are motives that are good. These are good motives. Improving situations are bad, are a good motive. Uh, equality is not a bad motive. But unless these impulses for the good are limited by some kind of a structure, these, these impulses get out of control. Ruf Cook, who's a major Jewish thinker, says that every human being is born with a soul. The soul, by its nature, desires to do good. That is the nature of the soul. The body? The body desires self-gratification. So life is a conflict between the body and the soul. So when somebody does things like PETA or excess extreme environmentalism, who these guys call the the uh, extinction, uh, liberation, extinction. There's a group that goes around, uh, they, uh, uh, you know, demonstrating for, you know, to prevent climate change, the extinction something. I can't remember the name. They're trying to stop human extinction. It is very possible. They're motivated by goodness. They're not motivated by evil. On the other hand, they're preventing people from going to work by blocking roads. They're preventing people from get, being paid and getting jobs. Just recently, in an In-N-Out Burger in the United States, they were thrown out by the employees because they were interfering with the employees trying to make a living. Just because you have a desire to do something good, if it's not structured, it leads to destruction. And the only way to know whether or not something is good or not good is through some objective basis. And that objective basis needs to be an objective reality. And the only objective reality is God. So you have two choices. You either believe in a God that has that that is objective reality and defines good and evil, or you don't believe in one. One leads to a moral, stable society, family, cannot exist in a non-stable society. You're going to tell me that family is made up of many different uh, associations, that men, men, women, women, whatever gender to mixing, whatever configuration is a family. 
Well, we don't know that that's true. No society has ever successfully survived the normative nature of a male and female heterosexual society. It might work. I can't tell you that it's not going to work. But we need hundreds of years to figure out whether or not that it will. And that's a huge risk. For example, in the United States today, 51% of households are led by women. I understand that some of them are divorced. Marriage breaks down. It's a Torah commandment that when a marriage breaks down, that the that a divorce be given. So these things happen, okay? Again, going back to situational morality. On the other hand, on the other hand, if you if you redefine the structure of marriage, like shacking up, the average shack up lasts nine years. This does not provide stability for children. You're going to tell me that marriage is not doing that well as an institution? Then maybe we need to examine why marriage is not doing that well as an institution. So 150 years ago and previously, no one got married. When I say no one, I mean generally speaking. People did not get married for romantic reasons. They got married reasons for dynastic reasons, for family reasons, for security reasons. There was some for economic advantage. Everyone understood that the purpose of marriage is something other than romance. As one historian of romance says, of marriage, I'm sorry, as one historian of marriage says, right, romance is not a strong enough basis to build an institution which can withstand the vicissitudes of life. And consequently, you see a massive divorce rate. You see people not getting married. You see children who are condemned to poverty, to sickness, to crime, to illness, to all kinds of negative features, which will eventually impact society because people decided that they can make autonomous decisions about what's right or wrong instead of depending on a God. Again, this is Chaim Klein on the podcast, The Right Jew. Thank you for listening.